Today, I've got a message called Already But Not Yet, and um, we're still in the series called On Mission, and uh, I, I want to really talk about that, that reality of um, the already but not yet. There are promises of God that he has already delivered, and yet there's times and seasons where we're, we're not actually living in the promises that he's promised. Uh, we're in the already but not yet, the, the in-between and I was thinking about it this week, like, um, to, to put it into regular terms, I, I ordered, I, there's this new phenomenon, and I think I just noticed it over this past year, really, um, when you buy things online. Did any of you guys buy things on Amazon? Anybody? Have you ever heard of it? It's a small little shop online called Amazon. You ever? Not, nobody? Okay. Um, so I buy these things on Amazon, and um, I ordered something just recently, and I get a tracking number. You guys know what tracking numbers are. Um, the tracking number, like, follows your package every step of the way. So you know when it was delivered to the facility in Idaho and where the facility's at, it was scanned into there, and then it got loaded onto a truck, and, it's, and it tracks everything, even when it's out for delivery. So recently, I was sitting at home, I was working at home, and uh, my phone dinged with a notification. And so I'm like, oh, and it says, your package has been delivered. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even notice a FedEx truck or a UPS truck like come up to my, to my house. And I'm, I could see that. So I, I walk out, I look, on, I look on the notification, and it literally says on the notification, I'm on residence front porch. I was like, huh, how did I miss this? So I walk outside, and I look on my front porch, nothing. I don't think, there was no, like, I'm not even saying that there's something like, like, a, like a, one of those pirates, you know, come and, like, steal my stuff. I'm like, nothing showed up. And so I look again at my phone. It says delivered. And I look at my porch. I'm like, not yet. So how can my shipment be already delivered and yet also not yet in my hands? And as I was standing there on my porch, the Lord reminded me of this, that, like, such are the promises of God. That as I, I stood, stood there on my front porch, I was reminded that we can find ourselves in that place, spiritually speaking. Um, like, okay, Jesus, I know that you got this. I know that what you've promised me, I, I know that the scripture that I'm standing on, but what the heck is happening right now? Because it seems like the wheels are coming off the bus and nothing is going the way that you promised, the way that I had hoped, the way that, that your word says, and I'm standing on it and I'm hoping beyond hope. You say that you've already delivered it and yet I'm not holding on to it. It's not on my front porch. It's somewhere, but it's not here. Um, and I want to share a message called Already But Not Yet. Um, we learn a lot from the life of Jesus um, how to live a focused life, how to, how to continue to live on mission in the in-between. I feel like much of Jesus' ministry, he was living in the in-between. He came, lived, died, and rose again. And sometimes there's this middle, middle ground where um, I'm sure he was tempted to do other things and to take his, take his mind off mission. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to open up our Bibles to, to Mark chapter 6. And um, it's kind of a I don't know, a well-known passage. I just want to take a look at it with the idea in mind of how did Jesus continue to live on mission in the already but not yet, in the in-between. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and 
He was alone on land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Lord, um, I pray that you would use your word today to speak truth, revelation, and understanding to us as maybe we find ourselves in the middle of a storm where the wind is against us straining at the oars, wanting to quit, not knowing where you are. I pray, that, um, I pray that we would see you in the midst of it. Help us to continue to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You be seated. So it's really quick. Uh, that's kind of how the, the gospel of Mark is. It's like these quick stories. It just goes from story to story to story. And so many of them start with the word immediately. Um, Mark was like in a very hurry, uh, very much of a hurry as he, as he like writes his gospel. Jesus and his disciples, let me give you a little preface, were um, just coming off of like a rock star tour. Um, these guys were popular. Uh, everywhere they go, crowds form and follow. And Jesus had just performed previous to this miracle here. He just performed one of his most astounding miracles. Um, more than walking on water, he had just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. So some say even close to like 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So everybody loves him. Um, and in John's gospel, it actually tells us that the crowd is now forcefully wanting to make him their king. He is very, very, very popular. It would, so be, it would be easy for him to just be swept up in the intoxication of popularity at this point. And, and, I, and I wouldn't doubt that some of his disciples are in that same place of like, man, this is awesome. Following Jesus really helps my, my swagger. It really, I'm like, I'm feeling really good about being a Christian right now. It's really easy to follow Jesus, by the way, when it's popular. Um, and as quickly as the, the, the crowd begins begging them to stay, Jesus decisively says, no, we're going to leave. And we see it in verse 45. It starts out. It says, immediately they come off of this, this huge, we just fed lunch to all these people. Um, Jesus immediately made his disciples, catch that word, made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Notice that the Bible says that, that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Um, I wonder if he saw it in their eyes, like as the crowds adored them and were clamoring to make him king. As they cheered for everywhere they went, they were popular. I wonder if, I wonder if Jesus felt it himself, that allure, that temptation, that pull, that draw to just just settle. Settle for lesser things. Settle for the satisfaction that popularity would, would bring or that a position would give him. 
the power that that would give him, the temptation to just kind of take his eyes for just a moment off of the mission that he knows that he's on and to just settle for the approval of people. And I don't think, I don't think it's really hard to imagine how much the disciples would have been begging Jesus to just obey the crowd. Like, yeah, like Jesus, we've been on this tour. We're all really tired. The guy, that, that rich guy that you healed the other day, dude, I don't know if he told you, but he said we could stay at his place, and it is awesome. Let me tell you, like, I'm, I don't know about you, but, like, they've been talking, and they want to make you king. This could be the break that we are waiting for. And as soon as this pressure begins building to stay, Jesus makes this even more in a rush to leave. He he has to make his disciples, make them get into a boat that they would rather not get into. And then I imagine he just kind of pushes them off to Bethsaida. Like, I'll meet you there. You guys just go ahead. And they're like, but you're not coming with? No. I'm going to take care of this crowd. You guys go ahead. I'll meet you there. And then in verse 46, it says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I love that Jesus doesn't just get away from the crowd. He gets alone in prayer. And um, there's something that we can't miss in the rhythm of Jesus's life. We see him time and time again. When the stakes are high and emotions run strong, he is always making sure that he's getting alone with his heavenly father. Let me say that again, because I believe that it's a word for someone in here. When the stakes are high and emotions run strong, make sure you are getting alone with your heavenly father. Because if you don't, you run the risk of two things. The first thing you run the risk of is that you allow the crowd to determine your decisions. You run the risk of of allowing the crowd to determine your decisions because we naturally listen to the things that are are the, the loudest in our lives. And you will begin to think that there is wisdom in the wishes of the world. You begin to feel the pressure of the mob, of people clamoring to tell you what you should do, what you should be about, and maybe even convince yourself that it's the same as as the mission of God. Make no mistake. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven have very different agendas. I love the fact that Jesus not only just dismisses them because he knows that, guys, you are a liability. Get thee behind me or in front of me, Satan. You guys are trying to get me to stay, and I know I need to leave. And he turns to the crowd that want to make him king, and he decides to leave them and to go up on a mountainside alone, not just to get away from people, but to get alone with his heavenly Father. So when When the stakes are high and emotions run strong, make sure that you're getting alone with your Heavenly Father. Because if you don't, you run the risk of the second thing, which is this. You will allow your emotions to manage you rather than allowing God to dictate your emotions. It's just true. When when all of the, 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 the crowd and everybody is telling you what they think you should be doing, we, we very quickly will, will allow our emotions to manage our decisions. But when we get alone in prayer, when, when we go up on a mountainside and just linger in God's word alone, like we find a peace, we find a resoluteness that is not found, it is never found in the clamoring of the crowd. There is something about saying, you know what, I, 
my emotions are running real strong here. I got a lot at stake here. I actually don't need the crowd, and, and, and you guys seem to just want to just listen to that. I need to get alone. I need to get alone with my Heavenly Father. There's a peace and resoluteness that you can find. There's a divine exchange that happens when you linger in God's Word. There's a divine exchange that happens when you just decide, I'm not going to, I, I need to stop listening to this, and I need to hear one voice. I need to get one word, and I need to get alone with, with my Heavenly Father. Um, Isaiah writes this in, 60, in Isaiah 61, verse 3. There is this, about this divine exchange. It says, He, God, provides for those who grieve in Zion. He bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He pours on an oil of joy instead of mourning. He puts on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There is this divine exchange that when we get alone with God, he gives you provision for those who grieve. He gives beauty when all you feel like you have is ashes. He gives joy instead of mourning. He, he gives praise, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. When, when the stakes are high and emotions run strong, make sure you're getting alone with your heavenly father. And then it says this, verse 47, Jesus is up on the mountain, the disciples are out in the sea. It says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Can I just say, I, feel, I so feel for these guys. Have you, ever, have you ever agreed reluctantly to do something that God told you to do, and then you were immediately met with resistance? Like, I, I feel for these guys, like, I mean... Have you ever obeyed God, um, even though you didn't want to, but you're like, fine, you're Jesus, I guess I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, and, then, and then immediately your life gets harder instead of easier. I have. I mean, I, I, I've, have you ever walked and chosen to obey God, even though you thought better, um, and then you immediately encounter a storm? Like, what in the world am I doing right now? And where in the world is Jesus? He said he was going to meet us, and he sent us into this storm, apparently, and he seems to be okay with this thing, and I don't see him. Um, and I'm sure that they were in their boat, rowing their little butts off, wind against them, making no movement, feeling like they're going literally sideways instead of forward, and wondering, where in the world is Jesus? This guy that we've been following, and it was real cool when we were on land, and now I'm in the, the middle of a sea that he pushed us into. He said, I'll meet you there. Don't worry. And I, I, have, I, I have no idea where he is. I wrote this down. I feel like this is a prophetic word for someone in here today. Um, and this is what I wrote. It says, um, just because the wind is against you does not mean that Jesus did not put you there. Um, do not doubt his will simply because of the storm. I don't know who that's for. I, just, I, I hope that that lands in a place for you if you find yourself in the middle of a storm right now. Do not doubt his will simply because of the storm around you. I want you to notice something in verse 48. You might have missed it. He says that, it says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars. Pitch black, middle of the night. There's no street lights back then. 
Um, they're in the middle of a sea in a storm. Jesus is up on a mountain, and he says that he sees them because the wind um, was against them. Jesus sends them into a struggle, and then he seems to just watch them straining in this. Like, why would he be okay with this? Why would Jesus allow this? Why would he send them into this? Why would he just watch them as they're struggling in the middle of a storm? Honestly, I think that Jesus appreciates um, testing more than I do. Like, I'm fine with never taking a test. Like, when I graduated, I was like, holly, no more tests, right? Like, this is awesome. Like, I, I, I don't crave a test. I don't crave exams ever. Like, there's never a time where I'm like, man, I just wish there was like a midterm. I am so jealous of these students. Like, no, nobody looks at life and is like, man, I just, I wish I could just grab a hold of like a, a Statron sheet and just like fill in those little things. And like, I, I, I wish that, that, that I could just take a test right now. Um. But in God's estimation, we usually don't know what we think that we know until it's been tested. Um, and when you find yourself struggling to see Jesus, he has his eye on you. So don't think that it, just because there's a presence of a test that it means the absence of Jesus' will. Um, in fact, James wrote in, about our testing that it produces a process of maturity. He says in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy. Okay, James. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Apparently, that's a big deal. Finishing well to the end. And he says this, let perseverance, once, once you've actually been tested, it creates a perseverance in you. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is a process of maturity that only comes through testing that should not and cannot be bypassed in the Christian life. I think God would say that it's the in-between that is just as, if not more important than the beginning and the end. Like we start out, we're like, hallelujah, this is awesome. Following Jesus is like amazing. I love this. And then a storm hits, the wind is against us, and we're straining at the oars wondering, I don't think I want to do this anymore. This does not seem to be worth it, right? I mean, you just fed us because we didn't plan for lunch. Everyone got Subway for everyone. It was like an Oprah show. And literally, I am literally stuck in the middle of this wondering, what in the world is going on right now, Jesus? Because back on land, it was awesome, and now I want to quit because we all know that it takes more faith to keep rowing when you don't see the shore. And so they're in the middle, the middle of a storm, straining and rowing, seemingly wondering, what in the world, is this even worth it? Because in the in-between is where our faith is tested and where perseverance is produced and maturity is made com complete. It's the in-between that that is actually needed because without it, we become spoiled children rather than sons and daughters of the king. That's, that's I think, why God values tests more than I do.
continues, verse 48. This is where it gets weird. Shortly before dawn, they've been rowing all night. He went out to them, walking on the lake. Pause. Um, I, I love that Jesus uses the very element that they were fearing as a pathway for his feet. They're freaking out that the waves and the wind is too much, too big, too great, too, too overwhelming. And Jesus uses that as a pathway to walk on. Um, that's the kind of God that we serve. It says this, he was about to pass by them. When I read this, I always think of like Jesus passing them like it's a race, right? Like he's like, I just started this thing, guys. Like you've been rowing all night. Like you didn't make, make that good. Like cause th that's what I would do. I, I think like if, if I were Jesus, I would totally do that. I'd be like, hey, boys, like looks like you've been... Keep up the good work. You got this. Row, row, row your boat. Let's do the echo thing. Come on, guys. Row, row. Now you. Row, row, row your boat. Row. Come on. And he'd just be like, forget it. And just keep walking because he was intending to, to pass by them. But it, what's interesting to me is that this word pass by can also be translated come near. Some scholars say that it actually has the same connotation that we find in Exodus chapter 34. Um, Exodus 34, we sang about it today. Moses says, show me your glory to God. And God's answer to him is essentially like, you can't handle my glory. He's like, but, 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 tell, I tell you what, I will allow my goodness to pass by you or to come near to you. Jesus could have taken any route across the lake but he knew that they needed him to come near, come near to them. And he knew that they needed it more than he needed to pass by them. Because sometimes in the middle of our rowing, we get so distracted and so discouraged and so feeling like we want to just give up and we don't even want to follow, let alone survive in this thing. And sometimes he just comes near to us and passes by just to remind us to stay on mission, to stay focused. And then it goes on in verse 49, it says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And so they cried out, like, I don't know, freaking, um, because they all saw him and were terrified. So they're tired. They've been rowing all night long. The wind is against them. It is pitch black in the middle of the sea. And Jesus shows up and they don't really, they see him, but they don't really see him. Right? Have you ever been there where you, you, like, yeah, you see Jesus, but they don't, but I don't really see Jesus. They actually think that they see a ghost, an apparition maybe of, of Jesus. And so they freak out. And don't act like you wouldn't. Sometimes we look at these guys and we're like, can you believe that you would freak out? I mean, obviously Jesus is walking on the water. No, Jesus never did this before. So like if you're in the middle, straining all night long, thinking about giving up, and some random dude starts walking on the water, the very thing that is scaring you the most, you don't automatically think like, oh, finally Jesus is here. No, you're like, what? What now? Like, what now? This is the worst day of my life, right? Now, now we have a ghost coming um, and if we're really honest, it's hard, sometimes hard to recognize the presence of God in the middle of a storm. It's really hard to recognize the presence of God when you're in the middle of a storm. And, 
And God will sometimes in your life, even right now, be sending you provision. He'll be sending you finance. He'll be sending you friends. He'll be sending you healing. And yet oftentimes we don't recognize it as him. We're like, oh, oh great, fine. Oh, oh, great, thank We don't see Jesus when he's right in front of us. When we're rowing and feeling discouraged and feeling distracted and feeling like we want to give up, it's very difficult sometimes to see Jesus right in front of us. He goes on in verse 50. He says, immediately he spoke to them and he says three things. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. And then it says, they were completely amazed. Great little story. Happy ending. And then, and then they throw us this, this odd curveball, this verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? Like all of this is really, it flows really well. And then verse 52 is kind of like, yeah, but um, they... They didn't understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? what? The gospel writer is referring to what I, what I talked about that happened right before this, um, where Jesus multiplied the loaves and fed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. So what does struggling in the storm have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? That's the big question. Because obviously linking those things together, they're terrified, they're amazed because they did not understand the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So, so what were they supposed to learn there that they, they could now apply here in the middle of their storm? I believe that this is part of it, and there's a lot of different ideas. I think that this is part of it, that yesterday's miracle has everything to do with how you view today's storm. Let me say that one more time. I don't think you got it. Yesterday's miracle has everything to do with how you view today's storm. If they had understood the loaves, then they would know that Jesus is amazing in emergencies. He shows up in random tests on lungs and people come up and are prayed for and the spot is completely gone. Jesus is amazing in emergencies. And I think part of what he's getting at is this, Y'all just witnessed me feed 5,000 people with, with virtually nothing. And you know that it was real because y'all passed it out. And you know that you started out with five loaves and fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread. So why in the world is your faith back at ground zero again? If I can feed 5,000 people who planned poorly for lunch, how much more do you think that I see you in your time of need? How much more will I come to your aid? See, God is always calling us to remember yesterday's miracle so that we can apply our, that faith to today's storm. Because we are called, church, to go from faith to faith not from faith to zero, faith to zero, faith to zero, faith to zero. We take what God is doing, like I said in the very beginning with Greg Silva's testimony, that we take that thing that God has done that we don't deserve and is certainly oh, outlandish and crazy and it's so hard for us to even accept it, and then we build on that. And we build from faith 
to faith, to faith, to faith. And I think that what, 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 what the gospel writer is talking about is that they were terrified, they were amazed, they were flabbergasted that Jesus could do the thing that he did because they failed to understand that Jesus is great in emergencies and he sees you in the middle of your storm. Because if you're not growing in an ever-increasing faith, then we will be overwhelmed by every new storm that we come up against. Do you realize that? If you're not taking the, the, the yesterday's miracle and applying it to today's storm, then every storm you encounter will seem too big. Every storm you encounter will be too much. It will be too overwhelming. It's going to be just too stormy, too windy, too much waves, too dangerous. And the Bible says that their hearts were hardened because of this. Because I think they understood Jesus on a certain level. They, they were amazed at what he could do, right? He just filled their bellies. But they didn't understand who he was. They were mesmerized by the miracle that he did yesterday. But they were missing the great Messiah who performed the miracle. And at the end of the day, folks, Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He is the Messiah, he is not just a, a genie in a lamp that if you just kind of, oh, I wish that I could have this. I wish that I could have this. I wish that I could have this. And every one out of 10 times, he does it. He is the very Messiah. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. And he wants your heart more than anything. He wants you to know him. See, the real struggle is not the storm. It's the struggle of our heart. It's not about the wind. It's not about the waves. It's not about the storm. It's always about the heart. And he's telling them, I need you to start seeing with your heart, not your bellies. I need you to start seeing with your faith, not your eyes. I just did the most outlandish thing that you've ever witnessed, you actually got to partake and pass out loaves of bread that multiplied in your hands. And now you're rowing in, in the middle of a storm and thinking, I give up, this is too much, this is too big, God can't do anything. I have to walk out on water to calm y'all down. I did the second coolest thing that I've ever done in a two-day period because you went from faith to zero rather than faith to faith, believing that I am more than enough. I, listen, the lesson of the loaves was not, I can feed your bellies when you're hungry. The lesson of the loaves is, I am the bread of life. I am your provision. I am your joy. I am your deliverer. I am your savior. I am more than enough. I am your ever-present help in time of trouble. Put your trust in me that yesterday's miracle has everything to do with today's storm. That we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. So I encourage you to take the things that God has done, and maybe not just for you, but for others, as seeds that can grow and produce fruit of not just cool things that God does as a miracle worker, but that that faith that maybe when it's tested would produce perseverance, which would produce maturity that we would be lacking nothing, knowing that we've got a God who is never lacking. He is always more than enough. Why don't you stand with me?
I was talking to some friends this morning, and um, there's this really, it, it ends in verse 53, um, and there's a, a small little part of it that most people kind of pass over, but if you're paying attention through the, the, the whole story, you'd realize that something was off. It says in verse 53, when they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. Now, you may remember that back in verse 45, if you can look back there, um, that Jesus put the disciples in the boat and he told them to go to Bethsaida, but they end up in Genesaret. Now, I didn't expect you to know this. Um, I had to look up a map myself. Um, but Bethsaida and Genesaret, from where, they, from where they set out, are almost in completely opposite directions um, on the Sea of Galilee. These guys were seemingly blown completely off course. And I have this, this revelation that, that sometimes God will send you in a direction only to have you end up in a different destination. <laughs> um, so the rowing toward Bethsaida may have been the direction that Jesus sent them on, but the final destination was Genesaret. They wouldn't have gotten to Genesaret unless they were rowing toward Bethsaida. Um, kind of goes like, along with this, like Proverbs 16, 9 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And there have been many times where I've set out in a destination and I've planned my course and then I end up not getting to where I planned going to. And I thought, I missed it. I was supposed to go here and I'm here. What, uh, I, guess I, I guess I failed. But what I found is that God will many times tell us to head in a direction knowing that his direction is not our ultimate destination. Because we as humans, we get so caught up in the destination. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to marry? What college am I supposed to go to? Should I take this job or this job? What should I do? How should I do this? Where should I go? Where should I move to? What? We have all these questions about destination, um, but God is always more concerned about the journey. Always more concerned about the journey. Because where you're going is not nearly as important as who you're with as you go. So don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged if you find yourself in the middle of a storm right now, feeling like you're completely blown off course, you're rowing against the wind, you feel like you wanna quit, and you're in a place where you didn't plan on. He sees you. Stay focused on the last thing that he told you to do. Um, and don't miss when he comes near. Don't miss in the middle of the storm as you're straining at the oars, trying to just do the last thing that he told you to do, feeling completely blown off course. Don't miss it when he draws near to you, when he comes into your boat. Remember the words that Jesus told his freaked out disciples. Take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. Essentially, he's reminding them, I see you. I, I have, I've been watching. I, I'm with you. 
I am for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am your ever-present help in times of trouble. I am more than enough. And in me, there's always leftovers. There's always leftovers. So if you find yourself in a place right now today, in a bit of a storm, maybe you're in a place kind of like where Greg was just three, two, three weeks ago, where the storm was raging. And he's wondering, Jesus, where are you? I don't see you in the middle of this. You know that, that you need the presence of Jesus more than anything. You know that you need to lean into the whisper of his presence. And I'm going to ask you right now, just as we head into this last song, just between you and your heavenly father right now, if you find yourself in some way, and you know it because God's been dealing with you this whole, this whole time, you find yourself like you're in the middle of a storm, you're straining at the oars, wondering, what am I even doing? I feel like I want to quit. I don't really know if I'm even going in the right direction right now. Um, I want you to just, just lift your hand between you and the Lord, just saying, God, I, I need to see you. I need to see you in the middle of this right now. I'm kind of disoriented, and I'm not seeing you in the middle of this storm right now. Just raise your hand just between you and him. Just lift it up. Just say, I challenge you just to identify it before, before God. God, I need you right now. I need you. Yes, I need healing. Yes, I need finances. Yes, I need all of these things. But I realize that I need you, that you are my provider, that you are my healer, that you are my savior, that you are my deliverer, that you are my all in all, that you are more than enough. And in you, there are always leftovers. I, I need your presence right now. I just want to encourage you, as we head into, into this time of worship, I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you to take an opportunity, just like Jesus did, just like these disciples were forced into, to take a step out of your seat and to move forward and just say, you know what, I'm going to come down here, up to the front area, not, not to necessarily because there's anything special up here, but to separate myself from the crowd and, and get alone with my Heavenly Father and just allow his presence to overtake me. There's nothing to fear in it. There's no like, oh, well, um, um, I, 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 what's he going to do? Well, the best thing you, you, you need right now is the presence of your heavenly father. So I just want to encourage you, as we head into this song, you can just make your way even right here with me right now. Um, and I, we're going to have some, a prayer team that will kind of come along behind you, beside you, just literally place a hand on your, on their, on your shoulder and just, and just pray God's presence over you, a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're in a, a season of a storm right now, you know that you need the presence of Jesus in your, in your life. You need to see him in the middle of this storm. So whatever that is, whether it's, it's financial, whether it's, it's a, you need healing in a, a part of your body, maybe, maybe you don't even know. You just know that something's wrong, something's off. You're, maybe you're interceding for a child of yours that has just kind of gone by the wayside. Whatever that is, I just want to encourage you as we enter into time of worship, just slip out. I challenge you to just come down here to the front and allow God to fill you fresh with his spirit again. Because more than anything that you need, your true need is the presence of God. Amen? Amen.
All right, kind of make your way down here right now. If I could have some prayer team, just come along. I don't want you to necessarily even need, need, feel the need to counsel. Just place your hand on their shoulder. Pray a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit over them. Lord Jesus, as we enter into a time of worship, I pray that you would encounter fresh these people who are straining at the oar, who are feeling like, man, I don't even know why. I'm in the middle of the storm. I feel like I'm trying to obey you, and I feel like I'm immediately met with resistance. And so, Jesus, have your way in each of these people's lives. Lord, I pray that as they make their way down and making a decision to continue to do the last thing that you told them to do, fill them fresh in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Let's sing.